on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio! Hello and welcome back to the second KUMB podcast. We have returned once again. Before we crack off and before we start, I just want to thank everyone for the feedback they've given us and for the patience they gave us on getting things up onto all the different podcast platform providers, etc. Not our fault, not taking any of the blame. Acast wasn't up to it. Too much going on here at these up Mother Brown for it to handle. Um, but yeah, I've got some fantastic one already. Hammer 1975 on the forum says, so unlike any other West Ham co- podcast in an excellent way, and you can tell, or they can tell after one listen, that it will be immediately become priority West Ham podcast to download, which is lovely considering... You know, it's our first one and everything. We we're already, already flying. Uh, can I welcome back, of course, Jack and Callum. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Yes, boys. How are we doing? Yeah, we're all good here. We've got the international break to round up to start with, which briefly, probably briefly for us, because maybe not a great deal to say. We, I mean, the best news of the internationals is players who don't play nowadays, which is... I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he's starting to sound greedy or not. Or if maybe that's the big time club we are now that we need our players rested, or the small tired squad that we are that we need our players <laughs> yeah. rested. So I think we were probably all all happy to see Rice not play that first game in England's walkover in the first fixture. Uh, Antonio not flying out to Jamaica either because he's he needs a little bit of a rest or he's realised it might not quite be what he thought it was going to be over there I don't know Zuma didn't make the France squad and I think the one that was really important that we saw was Soufal pulling out as well pulling out the checks with hopefully a minor injury he's looked a little bit leggy since Mm. the start of the season Um, but yeah otherwise we've got success for Yarmolenko cutting in on from the well and said cutting onto his right foot and bending it into a far corner which is at least a collector's item on that respect ben rama 90 minutes for algeria in their first game i think we, we saw but it looks to me they're playing at the moment but looks to me like he won't be getting on in the second half having used three substitutes um and i suppose the area's concern other than four now is getting a nice five ten minute cameo at the end of a nation's league final meaning we have a nation's league finalist in our squad <laughs> um being well worrying performances from vlasic by the looks of things and well sujek and crow maybe getting outplayed by the welsh jack which i'd say is a concern but obviously you as a proud <laughs> proud welsh supporter might say differently i was a bit i think you're a bit concerned if uh, if you've got sujek and crow going up against joe morell and joe allen uh, who have probably I don't know a combined height of six foot and um, <laughs> and uh, yeah I, I actually Wales uh, obviously as a Wales fan I was pleased but we kind of bossed that game uh, Danny Ward conceded the uh, most wonderful own goal uh, you'll see from the international uh, break in getting the Czechs uh, 2-1 up but yeah Wales really dominated that game and, and, and Suchek and Kroll uh effectively in a, in a 2v2 in that midfield area uh, lost to, to Morell and Allen, which is a little bit of a concern from a West Ham perspective. A touch worrying, although I know at least one West Ham on the for- West Ham fan on the forum who has been advocating for Joe Allen for about three years for some reason. Still, <laughs> still even in underperforming Stoke relegation battled teams, 
fine for ironing board, apparently. Um, and I suppose, I, I mean, I've seen criticism of Crowell. It's interesting with Crowell. He's, it, I mean, he played further forward than we expected when we discussed the League Cup game. And it seems, again, he's he's not quite showing any sharp ability. But I think it's a pretty harsh criticism of a 20, I think he's a 23-year-old midfielder who's just moved to a new country. It's not getting regular game time. Yeah, he's not getting regular game time for us, which is going to affect him internationally as well so I've, I'd, uh, I'll give him a little bit more breathing room bless him what he was possibly losing some of that breathing room with more reactionary fans I'd say is Vlasic I know at least one of you is a fully signed up member of the Vlasic fan club Cal uh, <laughs> but what was that a 90 minutes of poor performance it looked like in his first game in the second half where was that a 5.8 did you say who scored gave him yeah Looking at some of the metrics, it was pretty, uh, pretty underwhelming performance. But he's still my boy, so I'm, I'm holding off. <laughs> he's another one who's, who's who's not getting quite the um get the game time, is he? So again, he's another one who's dropped from probably being quite. A, I didn't follow his career particularly uh, pre West Ham, but being more of a main man, he's now gone to a League Cup Europa 20, 10, 20 minutes for West Ham kind of player. So they again and back in. Back in a country where he didn't he didn't thrive before as a young player, granted it's a little bit harsh considering he was in his teens, but you know. Yeah, but but also like um, we we I suppose we haven't really seen that much of him playing at number ten yet, um, and that's what I was going to say. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see how he how he performs when he plays in in that role. I, I think both games for Croatia, he's played played the first one on the left and maybe the second one on the right. Um, so again, kind of being shunted out uh, to the flanks, you can understand that uh, with Croatia, given the strength that they have in central midfield, and they kind of want to fit in Modric, Brozovic, Pasalic, or Kovacic, and that kind of mm-hmm. means there isn't any room in the in the central areas for him. Um, but yeah, not performing particularly well in those areas for West Ham so far, and then um, and then not performing that well for, for for Croatia to get dropped after the first game is. Is uh, not a good look for someone who is who's meant to be sort of Croatia's golden boy, um, and um, and then to come on and I I know we we mentioned the five point eight, but just to go briefly through some of the metrics, to I think it was seventy five percent pass success, got dispossessed, got dribbled once, um, had two shots that were off target. Just as a as a very brief, I mean, we none of us watched it, but as a very very brief roundup of the numbers, that just is, doesn't look good at all. It sounds desperate as well, doesn't it? Really, when you say them like that, like you can, I didn't really see it, but he. It sounds almost as though psychologically, like he's right. I've been dropped. I've got to come on. I've got to do something. Snatching at his shots, missing the target, trying to play passes that maybe aren't on, and therefore bringing his pass success rate down. Maybe trying something that isn't on, and then getting dispossessed in the action. Like I think the combination of factors at the minute are probably playing on his mind, where he feels like he's got to prove himself. And it's the classic case of I don't know, trying trying to do something too hard to the detriment of your ability and then it just starts to have a knock-on effect you just got to hope that like we say at some point he'll get a chance to play in his favoured position and for a good run of minutes rather than just like a 10 or 20 minute cameo off the bench I think if there's a bit of a catch-22 for Vlasic though is is that you know in these in these performances playing off off, off the wide areas um, he, he is going to need to to be more involved in the play at least um, to be able to convince Moise to slot him centrally because you know to be able to play that central position you are going to have to come deep get involved mm. uh, be able to, to impact um, our game in and around the box and um, if there's 
really a, a big criticism of, of his performances in possession for, for West Ham so far is that he's not really got on it very much and it's not looked like an issue of teammates not passing to him it's just looked like an issue of him not really getting into the right areas to get on the ball um, and there is a bit of a difference between how we're playing this season and last season and the fact that last season we were very transition focused we were we were very focused on playing on the counter-attack and, and that might have suited him a little bit better than the way we're playing right now at the moment we're we're seemingly trying to dominate games a little bit more um, pressing more from a mid-press uh, and trying to win the ball back and, uh, and dominate possession a little bit more um, and de- definitely you saw that against Brentford mm-hmm. um, and that's that's a, obviously a very different job for a number 10 um, and you know if he's going to get that that role be able to play in that role and get a run of minutes in that role he's going to have to show something a little bit uh, more promising from the flanks first I think yeah, yeah I mean it's got. I mean, to to his credit, in the Croatia game, I have, I, I did see a quick pass map of one of those Croatia games. It looked like Modric was basically running the game from quite a prominent central position as well. And you've got a player like that who, if you can get involved on the ball like that, I, I mean, I think most teams in the world would go if we can get Modric to control the game or the ball, you're going to move other players to accommodate him. So that's going to happen. No, if, of course, he's never getting the number ten slot at Croatia as long as Modric has got one leg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you can't blame him, can you? The the He's a baby-faced player, but he's quite a fantastic, exceptional one, isn't he? Yes, yeah, yeah. Right, well, from from Vlasic, we can go to one of our, well, what we all think is more tired midfielders, uh, Suchek. I know, I know I've, I've been, we've been kind of mildly critical, I'd say, because last week we discussed that his role will be changing with Rice's role changing. But there is a, there has been a level of concern, not, I mean, not, not just us, as, as a wider fan base, certainly, there have been concerns. Certainly his role has changed, but I know you two have had more of a look lately. I know you've got your second watches you do with your <laughs> real brains rather than me. It's just the game's done. I'll write a match report and I'll try <laughs> not to think about that for a while. Um, but granted, I've been a bit of a strop since that Brentford game. Um, but Tommy the Tank in the middle, how's he doing? I... I... I, I've been doing the second watches on Su- and looking at Suchek particularly. Um, a, a lot of what I do is, is noting down individual performances and and different involvements in the game, crucial involvements in the game. And um, and actually, my takeaway from most of that has been that this is quite a lot of fuss about not very much. Um, it's 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 true that Suchek looks a little bit more tired. It looks a little bit more leggy than we're used to seeing him. Um, I think. Partly, though, that's because we've been so used to seeing him charging into the box and then charging back is that there's just more sprints involved in all of that. Whereas if he's sitting a little bit deeper, you you are just jogging about. You're not necessarily seeing him charging around the pitch because that's just not necessarily what he's been doing um, as much of late. But defensive output-wise, when you're talking about his interceptions, his tackles, successful tackles, all of that stuff, that's super consistent, if not better, um, than last season just uh, with my eye, not not statistically speaking, um, and um, and then I, I think also tactically speaking, we're somewhat picking up on 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 there being an issue in in the central midfield area, and 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 a lot of people are picking out Suchek as being that issue. I think there have been a few cases of now that we're playing a much more defined four two three one that can look like a four four two when we're mid pressing. Um, and the fact that, that that third midfielder is not necessarily dropping into midfield and then we're dropping into a lower block. Uh, you know, like last season, we'd see often a 5-4-1 employed defensively. Um, that means there is a little bit more pressure on those midfielders to be, I don't know, five yards, should we say, advanced up the pitch. Um, and in a 3v2 in midfield like the one we had against Brentford, that is a, a new challenge for, for, for that, that partnership. Um, 
tactically in terms of the way we're setting up and um there have been a few occasions where we've struggled um in in that area this season um and i think that's partly just about adapting to it to a, to a new setup um and less so about individual performances being um alarming or anything like that i think that there is some somewhat you have to accept that if you're going to mid press and press higher then you're going to have less uh stability somewhat behind that um and that's not Suchek's fault. That's not Declan Rice's fault. Um, that's us changing the way we defend. Uh, Mark, so my concern is that the better player at being further back and in terms of turnovers and pace is Rice and whether we need to limit what he's doing a little bit to get better balance. So so my I, I might contradict that take a, a, a little Sorry. bit here in saying that that is that is something to be concerned about in transition um and and we've seen some of that exposed this season absolutely there is an issue in the sense that like we said in the first podcast Declan Rice gives you almost two players worth of of protection against um against opposition transition phases so counterattacks Declan Rice you 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 will find it very hard to find better player a better player in the Premier League than him at, at defending a counterattack whether it's a um a foul high up the pitch or, or or something that interrupts the move and slows it down he's always been excellent at that and continues to be excellent at that and when you play with him coming further forward and Suchet being the one further back then there is um more issue in terms of how you defend counterattacks than you potentially would have with Rice, but more what I'm talking about is when we're defending um, in a more set way, less in in a chaotic kind of situation where we've thrown bodies forward and then suddenly we're running back to defend a counterattack. More in the sense that the opposition has the ball and is playing out from the back, or however they're deciding to play, and just the way that the midfield is positioned. That's not so much about whether Rice or Suchek is going further forward. That's just about the fact that we're not sitting with a 5-4-1 and inviting them to, to reach the edge of our box before we're interested in, in getting a block on a cross or making a tackle or making an interception to, to, to then transition and, and play on the counter ourselves. That's more about the fact that you've got Ben Rama and Antonio high advanced up the pitch, pressing possibly then also with Fornells and, uh, and Bowen joining them and then often one of Suchek or Rice coming out as well to press in that, that middle area of the pitch triggered in different situations often by, by one of Antonio or Ben Rama going to press and then the rest of the team follows them. Um, that's just a, a, a different way of defending and um, and in 3v2s like I said in midfield that's that creates more issues if they get beyond that first layer of the press because then suddenly you have this 3v2 exposed with three players coming forward against two defen- defensive players. And Again, I don't, I don't think that's an individual performance issue. I just think that's a, just a different way that we're playing this season. Well, that's, that's good news in that respect. I, I mean, you were talking earlier, and we, we spoke before the podcast, our, our little meetings that we have, that maybe it's that it's because the eye-catching stuff is is being slightly changed in his games, not, not appearing as much anyway, Cal. Yeah, yeah, I think pretty much that's that's the conclusion I've come to. Uh, I agree with um, Jack that there's probably a lot of fuss being made out of an, a non-issue, really. Like, it, it, I just don't think there really is a problem. But um, yeah, I had a little look through the numbers, compared his performances in certain metrics this season to his last season, um, and noticed that the only three metrics that he was underperforming in this season as compared to last were touches in the opposition box goals per 90 and aerial duels per 90 and aerial duel success rate so the things that basically we'd come to 
get to know Suchek for like, last season. It hit the like classic Suchek move was late run into the box or from a corner or whatever, get his head on it, win the win the header like more often than not, and then get a decent goal tally as a result. This season, because like Jack said, he's been asked to play a, a sort of more reserved role. There's less of those runs into the box. He appears less. We're starting to notice other parts of his game that we perhaps didn't pay attention to last season because all of the emphasis was on, oh, Suchek, get him in your fantasy team. He'll get you loads of points. He scores loads of goals and that sort of stuff. And because of that, you don't worry about or pay attention to any other parts of his game. So as a result, I think, we're starting to see, start, and I guess it's coupled with the fact that we're all aware that he is tired. He had a big summer. He's, he didn't really get that much of a rest. He's played a lot of minutes this season, perhaps more than many of us would have liked. Like I think there's probably been occasions where we might have been able to rest him and we chose not to. Um, so I think that, compared with the drop in terms of goals, gives people sort of ammunition to be like, oh, well, it's just because he's knackered or whatever. But like, he's actually losing the ball less uh he's his defensive dual rate has gone up by 12 percent his passing is his yeah his passing's improved um his progressing pass he's averaging two more progressive passes per game and his success rate in progressive passes has gone up to 80 from 63 um yeah his defensive duels are at 69 percent now rather than 57 his general passing is 88 rather than 82 and he was averaging 12 losses of possession last season, and now is only nine. So, if you think about that, like he's actually out improved in a lot of important areas that you would want from a central midfielder. He's just not scoring as frequently, and I think people sort of have come to just assume that that was, I don't know, something that would just always be the same. Like he has to score goals, but failing to recognise that he's playing a completely different role than he was last season. He's doing basically as well, if not better, in terms of expectations from Moyes' point of view, I would say, because he's doing the job effectively that is being asked of him and he's doing it well. And he's just, it's not like he's underperforming from the point of view of the coaching staff because they're probably before each game not saying go out and try and score a header or you don't see him as active in and around the box. He's, He's sort of sitting deeper and he's, like you say, improved defensively and has improved in playing those passes from deeper, which I think last season was one part of the game that I was always quite had question marks about his his sort of production in terms of how we move that ball up the pitch. Because every time it broke out of onto the counter, I was like, oh, I hope it falls to Rice. Because at least I know that he can play that sort of line breaking pass. Whereas now, like, yeah, he's he, he, he's still not as good as Rice at it, but I'm less concerned when it does fall to him. And yes, he he plays some stray passes here and there, but like, I mean, every player does. I just think that because, like I say, he's not scoring, we're noticing it more and it's giving people a reason to sort of lambast him on Twitter and stuff. But really, if you paid attention to the rest of his game, I think we've got far less reason to be concerned. The other de- the other debate is other that people are looking at and again, was he, he got criticism in the Brentford game, I think harshly on the first goal, but maybe less harshly on the second. Fabianski is your... If and when Ariola takes that takes that number number one place uh the debate on 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 who is the better and if Ariola is the better should that be an instantly moving into the team or not 
Uh, other than that, it feels really bad to say having recently watched the videos of Fabianski walking off the pitch for his after his last game in Poland crying. Uh, but I'm also ending your West Ham career as I speak here, apparently, Lucas. I'm sorry. Um, Callum, have, have you got any... any it's, just, it's, it's harder with goalkeepers, isn't it? You could have more takes, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to be blunt. I think I don't think there's any debate about who the better goalkeeper is at present. To be honest, I think Ariola is a, is just a better keeper now. Fabianski's like coming r- towards the twilight. The twilight years might have even gone. To be honest, like he's at the end of his career. I'd, prime Fabianski versus Ariola is a different debate, but Prime Fabianski is not who we've got. Like we've seen a notable drop off for me anyway in his performances. Um, and yeah, I think Ariola is the better keeper, but it's a more nuanced issue in the sense that. <sighs> I think we've talked about it before in the sense that one of Moyes' big things is squad morale and keeping squad harmony. And if someone hasn't really given you a surefire reason to drop them, then it might actually be more damaging on the pitch to drop Fabianski, even if you're bringing in a better goalkeeper because of the dressing room, we might not have that sort of morale and togetherness on the pitch because some he's made a decision that a lot of the players might disagree with or don't think is justified and then that adds the nuance in the sense that okay well we've probably got a better goalkeeper sat on the bench but in an effort to maintain squad harmony I think you you kind of have to keep playing him until it's obvious for everyone to see that Ariola has a proven he's better which he hasn't in a West Ham shirt because he's only had two games albeit he's kept he's not conceded a goal but um yeah or he's I don't know, Fabianski gets injured, Ariola comes in for an extended run of games and then just Fabianski struggles to get his way back into the team, which I think everyone would be fine with because if Ariola did play, say, I don't know, 10 games in a row because Fabianski was injured and he played really well in them, I think at that point everyone just goes, OK, well, much like Fabianski hasn't, hadn't given you a reason to drop him for Ariola, Ariola's played 10 games and hasn't done anything for him to be dropped now, so Fabianski has to just accept that that's probably... The end. Um, I think that's that's the the nuts and bolts of it. I guess. I guess that's the scenario. Sounds weird to say the dream scenario for a manager who is just a, a little injury gives him a chance to make a change that he doesn't have to justify. Just oh well, I had to because you were you were injured, and then yeah, it would make Moise's life easier. Definitely. I mean, on the flip side, I guess we've got a really really good goalkeeper who is only on loan. The longer he doesn't play, and the less he, if the less time he gets on the pitch, is he going to go? Actually, I, I mean, I know he's got a house in London, but he might. Yeah, that's. I, the I would assume for me. the conversation's been had that look, he's thirty six. Well, his contract's expiring at the end of the season as well. Like, we're not going to renew it. I shouldn't think like that. There wouldn't really be much point. I don't think unless you just say to Fabianski, "Look, we'll give you another year. You can be back up." Because yeah. we don't have conf- uh, enough faith in Anang or Trot, who are both out on loan yet, and we just want well, you to Randolph. deputise with or Randolph, Martin. yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe that happens, but I, I, I don't really see the sense in it. I think wages-wise, he's probably on a reasonable amount of money that we could probably offset into positions that require more. Um, and I think, yeah, like you say, I think there is maybe some concern that if Ariola doesn't start playing a bit more, that he might look at the situation and be like well I don't feel like I was necessarily treated as well as I should have been while I was at West Ham and I, I know that there'll be other clubs in for me but on the same side he's definitely been brought in with a long term view of you will be our number one at some point that is a promise we can guarantee it 
but he, whether or not he's accepting of that, who knows? I imagine he seems like a decent enough chap, and I think it's only like I mean, you think if you were in that situation, it'd be you'd you'd be able to see that that is the eventual end point, and you'd probably be happy to sit around and wait a bit, knowing that you're then going to be the number one for however like five years if you want to be, or six, seven years. He's certainly closer to the pitch here than he would be at PSG with all 700 notably good goalkeepers that they have. Um, exactly. I guess the, the other side, is it's a challenge to Moyes' management, really, Jack, but to, to keep him happy, that's what you have to do with a squad. Well, I mean, I, let me just jump in first with this question. If, if, you, if you were choosing the keeper for the Everton game, who, who are you picking? Me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't gift, do don't. this to me bro. <laughs> it's a big if don't worry there's no real pressure you're not um, going to get a call do you know what I th- I was having this debate with myself earlier because I think while I was whilst we said that he maybe hasn't done anything to be dropped I do think he was at fault for at least one maybe two of the goals against Brentford so therefore has he done something for me to drop him <laughs> like maybe the so real maybe cows I'd come out everyone yeah that's it yeah man. Forget about Fab- Fabianski. Who? I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for this podcast, which is you debating with yourself. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> I was like shocked at how diplomatic you were there, Carl. So I had to turn it around and get the yeah, real. I don't know, man. Thought. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's there's only so much room for romanticism in football. I think, and I'm just going to be brutally honest. I think, yeah, Ariola's the better keeper. Probably put him in now rather than later. I did notice one thing, which I thought was quite amusing. Is that um, so? If you look at prevented goals in terms of goal, like so, expected goals against, and then how many they've actually conceded. Uh, Ariola has prevented more goals for West Ham this season than Fabianski has, despite playing a quarter of the minutes and facing a fifth of the shots. Well, so, I mean, <laughs> one of the games like, he didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, like I get, I guess that yeah, I think he, facing a fifth of the shots and Fabianski's faced something like I don't know fifty or so shots. I think so. He's still. He's prevented like 0.8 goals out of 10 shots faced or something, which is is better. Fabianski's only prevented 0.54 all season, so <laughs> it's uh, maybe that tells you something. That's where we'll uh, we'll move on before we finish. We've got two games coming up before our next pod to preview. We've got Everton this weekend. In, in it, it, even though it's been an international break, it still feels like we haven't had a break. And then Genk to come. Uh, Everton's interesting because I know. I pessimistically am worried about Everton. And when I said that to you earlier, it, it was almost in the front. But um, my basis on if Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison are up front, I see that as, especially having watched us fail to deal with a pair of strikers against Brentford, at least looking uncomfortable against a pair of strikers, to say, against Brentford, because it's a game we should have won. Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin, if they are back, I, I would I'd be worried about that. I um, I, it depends how they set up, right? I mean, if he goes for a four-four-two with Cavalier and Richarlison, I'd be surprised. I think more of what we've seen from Everton recently is a sort of four-four-one-one with one withdrawn slightly. Gray's been playing a lot in this sort of ten area, um, and the real thing to highlight with Everton is you you may may be scared of um, Cavalier and you may be scared of Richarlison, but um, Decore has turned into the player that he was at Watford. If um, if you remember this guy when he was at Watford, he was pretty scary and used to charge up midfield and score goals and suddenly after years of being at Everton he's turned into that player Um, and he looks very very good at the moment so if we're talking about new challenges uh, and issues in midfield for for this Suchek and Rice partnership 
Decore and Allen is going to be a yeah. big test, a yeah. big, big test. Well, it's, I suppose it's it's in 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 ways they're a, a, as like us as a pair. They've got quite a it's it's a certain two, and you know they're two, and they've got a balance of mainly they're not they're not attacking midfielders, but one will go. And that yeah. is almost exactly what I mean. My theory on, on, on Rafa is he will do, he will get a team that does the basics. He's almost Spanish David Moyes in my head at times, which is yeah. just, uh, possibly a little bit harsh, but you know, again, data wise, not looking into it. But they, it's it's getting those. I mean, he's he's done it with his transfers this year. Damari Gray, Andros Townsend were on no one's list. Damari Gray, in particular, yeah. is a 1.5 million deal, is outrageously good. Yeah. But he's got. You you get in this team. You work hard. We play with the what we play with width as well. You go up and down in the middle. I mean, it's 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 as close to classic nineties English football as you're going to get in two thousand twenty one in my mind. Yeah, I th- I think you're um yeah you're spot on in terms of that's just how Rafa operates really, and I think it's all about the fundamentals. They've got the third best defense in terms of expected goals against from open play in the league, so it's it's pretty shored up at the back. Um, and then they also are the third most direct, I think third most direct team in terms of um, how many passes per sequence and like the number of seconds per sequence as well and how quickly they get up the pitch, um, which is one of the things I highlighted um, in the sense that against Brentford, I think you rightly pointed out, Chris, that um, we did struggle at or look as though we struggled at times to deal with that sort of directness um and brentford in terms of their sort of uh directness metrics in terms of their attacks and stuff uh are second and efforts in a third in both those departments so they they number wise they look to play a similar style but positionally it's slightly different but it depends whether we see that two up top or we see that one and then the sort of shadow striker, false nine, ten, whatever you want to call it, um, and how we deal with that, I think probably is less threatening than Tony and Mbwemo, uh or who uh, Wissa when he came on and stuff, in the sense that it's not going to be two out and out strikers um, like it was, and it might be easier for our defence to sort of marshal the threat posed by. Rondon as well than Tony. Like Tony's clearly a better striker than Solomon Rondon, although he he has proven he can be a handful in the Prem. I think more of their threat comes from, like we've said, Townsend and Gray, who are like ranking in the top, I think ten or top five, depending on which you look at, um, for carries, ending in shots and ending in chances and stuff. So it's more about stopping the attack in the bud rather than in the final third and sort of preventing those those carries from actually happening and I think Rice is going to be really important in that sense he he's the man that we have that is ex- excellent at breaking up play and so it'd be interesting to see whether whether we see Rice sort of play this more advanced position that we have in previous games or whether Moyes sort of recognizes that Everton are a team that like to play this sort of direct um, attacking approach get the ball from defense to attack pretty swiftly with these nippy wingers and whether he sees that and goes okay right well we've got rice who's probably one of the best cdms in the league maybe just sit off a bit deeper and sort of try and take preventative measures um i think the only other threat that i identified when i was looking at some of the numbers uh this was more of an eye test though really and something that jack's already picked up is the late arrivals from de um in the box and just trying to avoid 
a Conor Gallagher brace <laughs> happening again because that is something that's really caught us out previously against exactly. Palace is Conor Gallagher who yes like he's a very different player to Decore but in that sense they do a similar thing in the sense that they sort of make these late runs into the box where they haven't got a marker assigned to them and they just arrive and cause trouble Gallagher scored two goals just from doing exactly that Decore scored in the last game for Everton doing the exact same thing and I think if if we're not careful, we could get caught out by that because at times we do look a bit switched off to those sorts of movements. Exactly. We've shown a vulnerability to late runs this season so already, so we need to be very careful against a team that's doing it yeah. very well And I think as well, like um, less so with Alan, but I think in the last game uh, that I saw of Everton, um, I think Tom Davies had a chance as well where he, ap- he appeared late in the box and he, I think he decided not to shoot when like the obvious... Passed. Yeah, the obvious option was to, to leather it, but... Um, I think was that against United. He could have won it. Was that? Yeah, could have right? won it. Yeah. Last five minutes against United and, and passed across the box to, yeah. to uh, Yerry Mina, who was offside yeah. and, and, and yeah. did his little dance anyway before yeah. being disallowed. <laughs> yeah. Looked very um, confused. Ran off to the side and went, "Do I celebrate or not? This is probably going to yeah. be disallowed, but I'm still going to take the opportunity to stand right in front of a Man United fan and dance." Yeah, um, <laughs> why not? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that just just be aware of the threat prese- presented by. Uh, Townsend and Gray, obviously, that's an obvious one that any anyone could probably pick up. But more, more alarmingly, perhaps, are these late arrivals that we have been caught out by in the past. Um, on the flip side, one thing I noticed was that 41% of Everton's expected goals against have come from set pieces. So maybe that's a weakness that we could look to exploit. This season, we've been less threatening from set pieces, but we know it's something that we have had last season We've still been threatening, but last season we obviously scored a good portion of our goals from set pieces. Delivery's still good. Yeah, Cresswell's delivery's still been on point. So if we can get Bowen doing that thing where he sort of wriggles around with the ball and gets brought down maybe like 20 yards outside of the box for Cresswell to whip in a ball, then that could be an effective, if somewhat ugly, uh, way of (laughs) attacking Everton. Yeah, Uh, yeah. But yeah, for me, that's all I've got on Everton. I'm just slightly worried about the Kure. Yeah, the, and uh, the last thing I'd say is Michael Keane's been, been a little bit loose in possession a few times this season, so one to press for sure. You know, if we're gonna we're gonna employ this mid press, then uh, yeah. putting pressure on Michael Keane is definitely a way yeah. to go because there's been a few shaky moments um, mm-hmm. so far this season. And and in terms of Everton going forward, um, I you know there's a lot of people saying that this lot look um, ready to compete for for top six or or, or whatever. Rafa Benitez is going to have to do something that no other manager has done and get Andros Townsend and Damari Gray um, to be putting in 8 out of 10 performances every week and um, that's never happened with one of those two players never mind both of those players yes. at the same time um, so you know that's that would be novel um, if he were able to achieve that I, I mean so I suppose my point comes from years of A Everton's best record in the Premier League against West Ham 27 wins from 50. I think most wins, anyway, we're looking at. Yeah. Obviously, two teams that have been in quite a lot. And um, and a weird stat that I saw the other day, this is thanks to Andy Hinchcliffe, only two players have ever scored headed hat-tricks in the Premier League, a hat-trick of headers. <laughs> They're both for Everton. One of them, Duncan Ferguson, and the other one's Solomon Rodden. I just I just found it really, really interesting. I just need to bring it up, because it's very often, not very often, I have something like that in the back of my pocket as I uh, <laughs> as in my back pocket as I'm talking out loud. So it's, just, it's, it's relevant right now, so I'll use it whilst I can. Um, so 
predictions wise, and I'll go predictions for the two of you, just so you're on record with your positivity. Uh, well, I think we'll lose two one, but I've already shown I'm a pessimist. So three uh, one West Ham. I think two one West Ham. Lovely. Well, two two wins from the three of us. Um, for swinging from two wins from three, there we are. Well, to our last of our Europa League opponents to play on. Obviously, we're playing them twice. We haven't played Genk yet. I know the two of you are going to write um, a more of an in-depth article on this that will be on uh, both your personal websites and the uh, Knees Up Mother Brown, I would assume. Um, what, what briefly, before the in-depth dive, do I need to know, Cal, about Genk? What are you thinking? What's, what, at, at the very least, are we going to win? Uh, I think we should win. I think we'll be disappointed if we don't win, and we should be disappointed. Um... Yeah, the it, it's going to be interesting, I think, because they're a team that throughout the season have liked to dominate possession. They average about 60% possession. Uh, they did that against Zagreb as well, even though they lost 3-0. Uh, can't read too much into that. We are, They are going to be up against a much superior opposition, so whether they try and dominate possession against us will remain to be seen. Um, I think the fact that they're still shipping so many goals but have had so much possession could potentially work in our favour depending on how you read into it in the sense that we're pretty electric on the counter and pose a real threat so the one thing we're good at is sort of getting good return out of limited possession and in theory we should be able to do that against Genk um, yeah we're going to write a piece so I don't want to go too in depth onto this but just a few players to keep an eye on Paul Onuachu is their main threat he's six foot seven. he's a monster he's got 11 goals so far this season um, yeah. Also, scorer of perhaps the best hat trick of this season yeah. so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in scoring, I think the first one being a, a, a miscontrol on the line and nearly getting tackled yeah. on the line <laughs> yeah. and just about squeezing the ball over it and then turning to look at his teammates as if to say, well, that was very lucky uh, with his first one. And then his second one being a really poor shot that then rebounds straight back to him for him to slot away. And the third being a scuffed penalty. So He sounds he sounds like a West Ham striker. And we've been linked to him before, haven't we? We have, yeah, we, we have. have. Um, so at, le- at the very least, it'll, he'll be someone to watch um, in terms of a possibility. I would guess that Moyes will find this quite interesting because he must have watched yeah, it quite for sure. a lot. He's been linked heavily, and whether that's agent talk or not, he's clearly It'll be an interesting test for our centre backs as well. Because I mean, how often do you come up against a six foot seven striker? Like <laughs> no. we've we've got centre backs who we like to think are pretty pretty good aerially. Zuma's obviously pretty good in the air. Dawson, if he plays, is good in the air. So this will be a real good test. I I quite like to see us play Diop against that, just because the ball's yeah. going to be high. It's certainly yeah. going to be a test for him. Yeah. Why not? Um, beyond Onuachu, I think there's 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 actually quite a few players of interest in the team. But like I say, we're going to save a lot of it for the article. But want to keep an eye on Junior Ito. He's got six assists so far this season. Five of them have been for Onuachu. So a bit of a partnership that we want to keep an eye on, probably. Uh, he's a nippy little winger who's pretty good at checking his runs and getting in behind or finding little pockets of space by stalling his run. Um, could be a handful if our defenders aren't fully switched on. And then the other final two to mention are their centre-back pairing. Both really young, exciting centre-backs that balance each other pretty well. Um, They both possess really good recovery pace, so we can probably expect to see them, as they have done throughout the season, play a pretty high press up the pitch. Um, But the flip side of that is that they can often get caught out, uh, and a lot of the sort of negatives that I've seen from their defence is that positionally they sometimes get caught out the pitch and then 
whilst their recovery pace is good, it means that their shape is absolutely terrible. And if we've got Bowen or Ben Rama or Antonio or Fornals or anyone charging down on that run, the one thing they do tend to do quite well is occupy the spaces quite nicely so that there are options either side to sort of try and hammer that ball home. Um, so something to keep an eye on there, I think. Maybe another Mystic Cow. Who knows? We've done it before. Um, but yeah, that's it really from me. Both of them really good at passing as well. So that lends to the possession-based sort of style. Yeah, it's nice that one of the... You know, it's, a, it's a positive that one of the big things here that you'd say is, is numbers on the counter has been something that they're, they're, they're light um, against or weak against. And, yeah. you know, twos, threes and fours, I'm talking. I'm not not talking at one goal and a 3-1 win. I'm, they're conceding goals um, yeah. on the counter-attack. And um, you'd probably say, I mean, I'd hope you say that's one of our uh, major strengths. So as for long sure. as we can turn the ball over in the middle of the pitch uh, and then commit real numbers forward in those situations against the misshapen gank defence, we could be in... Um, for some good opportunities against them. I suppose the, the good thing is either either they're going to play their style and we'll be able to counter them, or they're going to uh, have to try and change how they play, which isn't good for them. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Spot on. I think so, th- three wins all round then? Yeah, um, yeah, three wins. Yeah, if we're predictions for, for Genk, then I'd say uh might be 3-1 again for me, but maybe I'll just go 2-0 because there's something really nice and consistent about 3-2-0 wins in, uh, in yeah, the first nice. three Europa League games. Uh, I'm going to go 3-1. I just think we will cut them open on the counter enough times to get a few goals, but I think that Onoachu in the form he's in and the size he is can probably put one past. Uh, I'll go I'll go 2-0 uh, in a slightly underwhelming performance, but another win, and that's all that matters for me. And that is all that matters. And at that point, I, I, can, I, I suspect we take this seriously because those three wins could... That could pretty much secure qualification even though we'll be looking to top the group the, the key thing about winning this game uh, is and, and then going away to gank and getting a result is that potentially you can really heavily rotate for the final two games yeah, um, yeah. That's which would do us a lot of favors the looks of things at the moment that is going to be important to us yep perfect possibly two two wins hopefully by the time <laughs> we're next back uh thanks again for anyone who's listened and joined us We'll be back next week to reflect on these games that we've predicted. It'd be funny if we come back all looking completely miserable. You <laughs> <laughs> come back completely miserable. I mean, if, we, if we've lost both those games, I'll be pulling out. I probably won't be pulling out a West Ham shirt for my collection next time. That's for sure. Anyway, um, but on that note, uh, thank you, Jack. Thank you, Callum. Thank you, everyone. And that's good night. Right. So we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show. James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> and big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yes, it's Find excitement them. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it That's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at kumb.com. Come on, you irons.